Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Uh, I do uh, feel very welcome here. This does feel like home. Uh, I know I don't know some of you and love the opportunity to, to meet you if I've not met you before. But uh, I've known Lance since back when Harvest Bible Church began. We started Magnolia Bible Church around the same time and kind of traveled some of the same journeys together. And and uh, I just want to reiterate something you probably already know. You have a wonderful pastor. <laughs> Lance is wonderful, and Cheryl and the family, uh, y'all are blessed to, to have him. And he's been a good friend to us over the years, and Harvest Bible Church has been a great supporter of Capital Commission and, and the ministry that I have in Austin. I'd like to show you a quick video. I think I showed this before, but hopefully just kind of a quick reminder of what I do. It's very hard to explain what I do at the Capitol. So I have a video that I'd like to show you that's mostly some legislators kind of talking about what goes on at the Capitol, and then we'll get into God's Word here in just a moment. So let's see if this uh, works okay here. There we go. We know that God's Word is living and it's powerful. And so whenever it's open, it's going to have an effect. And so just like it does everywhere else, it has that effect here. Capital Commission is a nationwide ministry, and we put a state minister in each of the state capital. And so I'm the state minister in Texas. We are all connected in our communities, in our state, and as we gather here for the legislative session, it's important that we keep that in mind, that we are dealing with human lives here. All of us, when we leave our communities, we leave our families behind, we also leave our communities of worship behind. Spiritual evil plays out every level and I don't think legislatures are insulated from that and on the contrary I think that's probably a fertile playing ground for uh, evil to take hold. So having a minister here, having our brothers and sisters in Christ sharing Bible study with us reminds me what's important and who I serve. The Capitol Commission I walk helps faster us than that in real life. life. I'm on not spiritual sure why things on, on things about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Capital Commission is nonpartisan. It's not lobbying. It is non-denominational, uh, which doesn't mean that it's watered down. We focus up on God's Word, the Scriptures, but I'm not here to try to influence their vote in any way. I'm trying to influence their heart. It's a beautiful bipartisan thing for us to focus on the Lord and, and uh, His Word. At least once a week, we're able to get together, to fellowship, and to just get away from the, the politics. Just stop and meet with other Christians and really focus in on the Lord and, and doing what's right. Step back, renew your spirit, uh, fellowship with other colleagues. Um, I think that's needed. Even though you can have differences of opinion with people, you can still love people. They know that I'm, I'm safe and uh, they can talk to me about whatever and I'm not here to try to influence them one way or the other. Scott's taking time to sit with me, pray with me, pray for my family because he knows how hard this is on our families. Every morning before we walk into the house floor, I enjoy seeing Scott's face. He says, good morning, and he'll say, God bless you. And it's just a, a great encouragement before I go onto the house floor. I was out of the country and Scott would always WhatsApp me. He'd just simply check on me. He's very personable and for somebody to remember and, and be able to say to you, hey, just checking in on you, and that means a lot. It's just important to have a Christian influence in all areas of our lives, but especially in a place like uh, the halls of our government. And I think that's the incredible value that Capital Commission provides is to keep us spiritually healthy. My wife and I, Kathleen and I, we support Capital Commission and we have for many, many years because it fills a niche. No one else is trying to do this. And you want people to practice Christian values regardless of their walk in life. And what greater place for that to happen than within our state governments. If you may never come to the Capitol, 
but I promise you the things that happen here will affect you and the Capital Commission by extension I think is is helping you help us. Selfishly I'm very thankful for it and the folks who work here benefit from it but I would think we would all benefit from having the folks who are making decisions who are making laws having those people under the sound of the word. I work there. Don't blame me for everything that goes on there, though. I do my best. Uh, there is a lot that goes on, and as Giles alluded to, uh, if you've been listening to any of the news, you know that we have quite a bit going on this weekend. It's been a, a pretty eventful past several weeks. This is session. Session actually ends tomorrow. It's 140 days straight, starts in January ends Memorial Day. So we're right at the very end, but all of a sudden we have this big hand grenade thrown in of impeachment of our Attorney General Ken Paxton. And that vote was yesterday. And I'm not going to get into a lot of that. I'm assuming you have some questions. If you know anything about that, I'd be happy to chat with you about it. I don't want to take the time here to talk about it. I, I will tell you that my answers will be somewhat vague in the sense that uh, I, I truly... Um, I was talking about this in the lobby earlier with several folks. I truly love each of them uh, with a supernatural love because it's not natural to love some people that are unlovable at times. And some of our legislators are unlovable uh, at times. And, but I can truly say that I love them all and I would count them my friends uh, we have 150 House members and 31 senators, and then we have our executive branch and judicial branches, and, and I know folks in all those areas, and I love them all, and uh, I spend time with all of them, and so in the midst of all this, I spent time with A.G. and his wife, who is also a, a senator, Angela Paxton, uh, and our House members, and Yesterday, before they went on the floor to make this vote, I invited them all to the back hall before they go onto the floor to pray. Um, anyone that would like to join us, and we had a group that came together, and actually I had several groups that kind of came in waves, and uh, we prayed uh, before they went on the floor because it was a huge vote, a vote of impeachment of uh, a sitting person in, that has been elected, and that's our Attorney General. Now it goes to the Senate uh, for a trial. We don't know exactly when that will happen. We had dinner with a senator night before last, and he said, I have no idea when that's going to happen, how that's going to happen. This is kind of new for us. We're navigating this. This is, uh, we've had an impeachment in 1917 and 1975, and now there's not a ton of precedents, and so we're working through this. But I will just tell you that uh, this is um, hard on every single one of them, to varying degrees. Some, it's very, very hard. Uh, it's been a, a very difficult emotional time. Um, and we haven't been sleeping a lot, and I'm feeling a little emotional right now. Uh, I think when you don't sleep a lot, sometimes your emotions kind of come out, and I apologize for that. But um, uh, I, I woke up last night crying and got up to pray. Um, this, is, this is hard. This is very, very hard. Uh, I'm not, I, it's about all I can say at this point. It's been very, very hard on many people, and I've spent a lot of time with a lot of them uh, during this time. And I know that's part of the reason why God has me there, uh, is for this. 
And so I, I want to be strengthened and allow God to do what he wants to do in and through this situation. So I'm going to leave it at that. If you have more questions, I'd be happy to talk with you uh, after the service or anytime. We have some information at the back um, at the uh, information desk. It has my contact information. I have cards I can give you. If you want to call or text or email or whatever, I'd be happy to try to answer questions that you, that you may have as well as I can. But I would like to get into God's Word uh, this morning. Uh, and I, I'm going to tell you a couple of things up front just to prepare you. First of all, uh, the sermon, this message will probably be a little bit different than what you are uh, probably used to with Lance. And it's really different than what I am used to preaching. Uh, we both went to Dallas Seminary. We were taught to do great expository preaching, go chapter by chapter, verse by verse of a book and uh, that is what I do at the Capitol. I have a bunch of Bible studies throughout the week. We're going through the book of James. And as I told you, we started in January. I'm only in chapter two, the book of James. <laughs> so we, we don't skip anything and we go through it all. And we're, we're going through that. And it looks like we're going to have special sessions. So I'll be able to maybe get to chapter three. We'll see. Um, but this, this morning... Uh, I have a couple of goals for the message this morning. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little more, I guess, topical than what you would normally have, but hopefully it will accomplish these goals. Number one, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, my goal or my hope is that this will be an encouragement to you in reminding you of certain things you probably know. Maybe as I present it, maybe there'll be some, some new uh, perspective that, uh, that you will observe as I share from my heart. Um, number two, as you share with others who you love, you care for, you want to see them come into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that maybe some of this information uh, will help you in kind of organizing and, and putting that together. Number three, uh, is if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and you happen to be here and you're still trying to sort things out and you're asking questions or you're online and you're listening to this and you have questions, maybe this will help in that, that process, in your journey of trying to figure out what is true and what is not true. What should I put my life in the hands of? What, what should I be doing with my life? What, what is the meaning of life? And um, so hopefully that will help with that. And number four, um, I hope this is an encouragement to you to hear the message that I taught at the Capitol with all of our legislators and staff. And when I taught this um, in the House, the House Bible study, had about 35 members uh, this particular day. And uh, one was uh, an agnostic Jew who spoke up and said, as the agnostic Jew here, and he made some comments about how he felt uh, welcomed and comfortable coming to the Bible study that, that I was teaching, mostly because of my relationship that I've built with him over time. Uh, we had um, a Buddhist uh, in the same class, and he said, I feel the same way. I came, I want, I, I respect Scott, and I came, and I, I wanted, this is his first time, and, and um, I've had several others that I uh, think that they would proclaim that they are not followers of Jesus Christ. It's not me judging their heart necessarily. It's them saying that. And they came to Bible study. It's called Bible study. We announced it on the house floor. Scott Wall is leading the Bible study today. Be sure you go. 
and they came to Bible study. Uh, and they heard this particular message. And hopefully, my fourth goal is that you are encouraged to hear what they have heard and that God is working on their hearts and their lives and that you can be praying uh, for them as well. So let me, if you don't mind, let me pray and commit this time as we go to God's Word uh, to Him and let Him do whatever He wants to with this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I am grateful that you have revealed to us so much. You have put the responsibility on us to sort through, think through, evaluate, come to a conclusion, and to make a decision based on the information that you have revealed to us. I thank you for that. I thank you for the information. More importantly, I thank you that you have revealed to us who you are, who we are in light of who you are, and what our problem is and what the solution is and that you've provided the solution for us. I ask that you would help us to be encouraged by this or to continue to grow in our relationship with you because of this information that you have revealed to us. So we just commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here's, here's the questions that I have. I'm going to um, answer the, the great questions of life for you today. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Now, I'm actually not going to answer them necessarily, but I'm going to provide, I've kind of boiled this down. I've simplified it. I know I've simplified this. I know this is very complicated answers, but I've, I've simplified this into a couple of choices that I think we all have to make. Every single person on the face of the planet. There are choices that we need to make a decision about, and sometimes we just ignore it and don't care and don't, don't pursue it, but at different times, especially maybe in a crisis or when we spend some time alone or we're out in the great outdoors, all of a sudden we start thinking some of these big philosophical questions, and we think that we're the only person on the planet who's ever thought these questions and tried to come up with these answers, but we all have. Every single person, I believe, has come to a point in their life where they start asking some of these questions in one form or another. The first is, where did everything come from? Where did it all come from? Where did everything that I see and not see come from? Today, there are basically two competing answers to that question. Again, I understand all these answers can be parsed and nuanced, and there can be much more. But basically, we have a choice between, did everything come from an electron-sized particle that they call a singularity that had been here forever, for all eternity, and contains and contained all the energy, an infinite amount of energy, an infinite amount of matter, and that it exploded at some point in the time past, and then everything that we see or don't see came from that. That's one option. As we read in Scripture, there's another option that is presented that seems to be the biggest and largest competing answer, and that is instead of a singularity that has existed forever, that there is actually a God, a personal God, an infinite God who has existed for all eternity, and He created something out of nothing and made everything that we see and don't see. We have those two options. We weren't there. I wasn't there. No person was there. 
the first person that showed up was Adam and Eve, according to the second option. But they weren't there when all this happened. No one was there. And so we have to step out and say, which one do I believe to have happened? And I don't believe that we believe things just because we hope it to be true. We want it to be true. It'd be nice if it's true. We believe it because we have evidence and we understand, here's my options, and I believe this is the most rational decision that I can make about this particular question. I think that it makes sense if you feel like there's no God, there's no evidence for you that there's a God, you don't think there's a God, that you would go, well, I have to believe that there is this particle that has been here forever and that it exploded, and everything came from this. We read from Scripture the other option. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. We read in Colossians 1, as we heard earlier, that for by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are invisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So that's an option. Maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. You have to make that, that determination. When I weigh these, I have a hard time, this is me, I have a hard time with the fact that there was something that was not created, but has been here forever, that is not self-created in a sense. It's, there's a self-origination, um, that's God, that God is God and he's always been here. So I have a choice between an eternal, all-powerful, infinite God or a thing that's been here. Those are my choices. So I tend, obviously, to think that the first Option is very difficult as far as there being the singularity forever, but the idea that there is a God, it seems to make sense to me. But that's not all. The next has to do with life. There is a, there is a law of science of gravity that things are attracted to one. You drop something that's small, it attracts something that's big. You drop, if I drop this remote control, it'll go down. That's the law of gravity. The law of biogenesis says that life comes from life. Everybody knows it. You know it. I know it. Every scientist knows this, that life comes from life, that life does not come from non-life. But there are two options. One, you have to believe that life came from non-life. If you are to believe that everything was an explosion that came from the singularity and that just started to evolve and then all of a sudden life just appeared. Or with the first option, uh, the second option, you have the fact that there is an all-powerful creator God who created everything. To me, that's, that's a very important decision that we have to make. And I have a very difficult time trying to believe something so fanciful as that life comes from non-life. That's my opinion. There are many smart people 
that believe that life came from non-life. You have to make that decision, though, in trying to understand the truth of everything that we're, we're faced today. This is a quote from George Wald. He's a Nobel Prize winner from Harvard. He said, the sudden, sudden appearance of life is not only the most puzzling feature of the whole fossil record, but also its greatest apparent inadequacy. There is life. It just happened, but I'm, I can't explain it. The idea is that eventually science will be able to explain it. That's the explanation, really, is that we just we haven't gotten there. Science had a lot of questions, and they've answered them now, and so this is a future answer that we're hoping to be able to answer, and they've been trying. In fact, I read an article this week about people and scientists are trying to create life, trying to figure out how to make life come from non-life. They've been working very, very hard at it. They also are saying that it happened spontaneously and just randomly, and they're trying very hard to make it happen, and they're having a hard time, but they still believe that it came from uh, just random chance. Same guy says this about spontaneous generation. One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of of a living organism is impossible. Yet, here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. It is a belief. It is a step of faith. It is a huge step of faith, but it's a step of faith that people can make because they believe that there is no God. That's the conclusion that people have come up with. And if there is no God, then you've erased any of that as an option. And so now you have to come up with, so life has to have come from non-life. And I believe it has. I don't know how. It doesn't make sense. It is impossible. But I am going to believe the impossible here because I am rejecting the option of there being a God. But we have, Genesis 1 says, God created everything. God created the sea creatures, every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. The Bible gives us an explanation, an idea. I have to choose. Did life come from non-life or did it come from an eternal, infinite, all-powerful, creative God? I choose the latter, obviously. It seems to make sense to me. At least between the two, it does. Order. When you look around, you see things that everything has to be just right in order to exist. Life on earth has to be just right. A lot of things have to be just perfect in order for life to even exist. Just the evolution of things that the scientists say have happened is very difficult for me to follow in the sense that the idea is that if there is a mutation that occurs in a species. Most of the time, mutations are bad. If my, uh, my uh, son and uh, my daughter-in-law, they are pregnant with our first grandbaby. 
if the doctors came to us and said, we want to talk to you, uh, the baby has a mutation. Typically, the response is, yes, I can't wait. What is that? It's got to be really good, right? No, you're like, oh my gosh, what is, what is wrong? What has happened? Mutations typically are not good. Maybe there's a mutation that could be beneficial, and that's the idea is that there's a whole bunch of bad ones, but every now and there's a good one, and then that good one hopefully is passed on to the species that comes after. When we have um, the order of evolution as it has been prescribed, I have a hard time looking at some of the things that are, should have been um, I guess, beneficial early on in their evolution and why they would have been beneficial. One example that many people have given is the eye, the eye, the eyeball. Uh, there ha- it has to have had something that was worthwhile early on for it to continue to evolve. It could not have just popped up with rods and cones and lenses and nerves and optic and all these things to, so that the animal could see all of a sudden that had to have evolved. And so if you have an eyeball that doesn't have all those things, then it's worthless. It's, it's not needed. So somehow it's got to have all these different things. And we don't have anything that shows us that. People say, well, it probably did. It probably happened. There's probably things that happened. And we can show some things that look kind of like that. But it doesn't seem to make sense to me looking at the evolution of things. So the, the question, the options that we have are, All that we see, the complexity and beauty as a result of random chance, everything just happened, you and I just happened, everything just happened, just evolved, or that everything that we see, the complexity and beauty as a result of intelligence, intelligence creator. Many of you know the name Charles Darwin, who was the beginning of helping with understanding this idea, one of the ones at the beginning to understand this idea of evolution in the origin of species. He says, to suppose that the eye, he uses the eye, with all its inevitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree possible. He admit, he admitted that it's absurd. Yet it happened according to many people. It is a step of faith that that is what happened. So I have an op- options here to believe that everything that we see just happened or that there is something behind that, an intelligent God creator. Next, meaning. Meaning in life. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those are the three big questions that science and philosophy are trying to answer. One is, all is random. There's no real meaning to life or anything for that matter. Even though people try to ascribe meaning, that if we as a group decide there's meaning, then there's meaning. But why is, who decided that we as a group why is there meaning to that statement that we as a group decide that there's meaning? If another group decides what you just said doesn't have meaning, then they have decided that what we have has no meaning. But how do we know that their meaning has meaning? We can decide individually as a group 
why is there any kind of meaning at all? Why is there any kind of purpose? Why does it matter that if there is a, a, uh, a paraplegic or a quadriplegic that's sitting on uh, a dock and somebody walks up and shoves that person into the water and they drown and die, that people go, that's horrible. That is terrible. That is wrong. Why? Why is that wrong if everything is random, everything has happened by chance, everything came spontaneously, just popped up? There's really no reason for that to be wrong unless we all decide it. And so that's the idea is that if enough of us decide that's wrong, then it's wrong. But if enough of us decided that it's not wrong, then it's not wrong. It's okay. Just shove them all in the water. It's okay because we've all decided that. And many people are trying to make that case for a lot of the morality that we see in the world today. That if enough of us get together and say this is right, and the Bible says it's wrong, it doesn't matter. It's still right because enough of us say it is. Or this is wrong. The other option is that God created all of creation with meaning and purpose. That's what the Bible says. People don't want there to be meaning. I believe that's the big part. Deep down, they may not admit it, but deep down, I believe that people don't want there to be meaning and purpose because then it, it means that they are responsible for their actions. The bad things, whatever they do, they don't want to be responsible. They want there to be freedom in their mind the way they would design, define freedom. Adolf Huxley, atheist, said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Y'all probably heard this name, Aldous Huxley. He's an atheist, very prominent atheist. He says, I don't want there to be meaning. And consequently assumed, I don't want it, so I'm going to assume it has no meaning. And was able without difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. I don't want it to have, I assume it, and I'm going to try to find ways to satisfy that assumption. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality, we objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We want to do what we want to do. So I'm going to assume these things. These, I'm going to assume that the world has no meaning because I don't want it to have meaning. The book of Job says that there is a God and God is interested and you and me as his creation. That you and I have worth and value and meaning because the creator of God cares about you and me. He says, what is man that you, God, should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him? It's not just a random piece of molecules and atoms and things that have come together and don't have any kind of meaning. We are created in the image of God and God cares about you and me. Matthew gives us more meaning. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. This is why you're here. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are here for this. I have meaning and purpose. When I get up in the morning, this should be the grid by which I look at my life to see, do I have some kind of meaning and purpose? Am I doing this? And I believe that there's true, real satisfaction, uh, joy, feeling of, of doing something that's meaningful when we 
do what we're created to do. We can have peace and joy that surpasses all understanding when we seek what God wants and we do that. We have meaning and purpose, I believe, because God created it. Do we have to have a discussion about God? We've been talking about God, so is there a God? Is there a God? Is there a God that somebody else has made up? Somebody says, this is a God, this is a God, this is a God I serve, this is a God I like, this is a God I want, or these are the gods that I want. Is there a God that somebody else has made up? If so, I'd like to know how they came to that conclusion. Is it just they came up with that in their own mind, their head? They're thinking, I would like a God who would do these six things for me, do these 10 things for me, that would act this way. And so they decide this is the kind of God that I want. Or is there some kind of way that this, their God has revealed himself to them and they're able to say, this is where, this is how I know about this God. This is the information about this God. There's very little other options where there is some kind of revelation about another God that has not just been somebody has just come up with that. Or is there a God that has been revealed in the Bible? The God that most people talk about is the God of the Bible that they know something about, and then they take that God of the Bible and they make it what they want it to be. They say, I believe in God, but not, not everything in the Bible, not everything that you say. So I'm going to take the God out of that Bible and I'm going to ascribe it the qualities that I want that God to have, because I don't like all the description that's in there. So I, I like that you have a God. I like there is a God. And I believe that there probably is a God, but it's not the one that's revealed there. It's this one that I'm going to choose. So is it a God that is made up by others or is it a God that is revealed in the Bible? You have to make a decision. If there is a God, does he communicate? Has he communicated? Is there any way that he's communicated with us? You can have the question. Is there, is a, there is a God. I've come up with that conclusion, but does he communicate with his creation in any way? Or you may come up with a conclusion, there is a God, and he has and does communicate in some form or fashion with us. If there is a God that has not communicated, then how do we know that there is a God? If there is a God, I believe there is a God, but he's not communicated in any way to us, then how do you know that there is a God? So you have this, this decision you have to make. If there is a God, has he communicated in some way? So you say, okay, I'll agree. There is a God who communicates with his creation to us, communicates with us through, and then you have to come up with a conclusion of what that is that you believe how he has communicated to us if it's not the God of the Bible. There is a God, this is the other option, there is a God who communicates with his creation through his creation as, and through the written words called the Bible and through his son Jesus. That's what Christians believe. That is an option. You have to have, once you come to the conclusion, okay, I believe there's a God. I believe that he communicates now. How? Well, these are the two main options. So if we get to this point where we're talking about the Bible, now we have to decide, well, okay, I, I think he's communicating through the Bible, but I got to decide, is the Bible true or not? Is the Bible true? The Bible is not true or it is true. The Bible's not true or it's true. I got to come to that conclusion. I could go into a long lesson about whether the Bible is true or not. I'm going to boil it down a little bit. When you read through the Bible, first of all, it's not a science book, but everything that it talks about in science has been correct. Whether it's 
long time ago when people thought there was some kind of earth and it was held up by pillars or on the back of an elephant or something. The Bible said that the world is suspended in nothing. That was, no one thought that. How could that be? But the Bible said it. And then they found out, oh, it is true. The Bible has talked about uh, the, the water cycle, about the, how the, the rains come and they evaporate and go back up. It talks about the, the, uh, the different um, pathways of water in the ocean, the Bible talks about. There's all sorts of different things. It's not a science book, but before science had discovered certain things, it was correct about those things. <clears throat> Historically, it's not a history book. There's many history books in there. There's much history, obviously. But it's not a history textbook, but historically, everything is true. In fact, I know uh, Lance takes trips to Israel. Maybe some of you have been able to go and, on those trips with him. One of the things that was probably striking is the fact that you go to places that have now just been dug up, and it confirms everything of the Bible before it got dug up. We read the Bible, and then some people say they take a shovel and the Bible shovel one hand, the Bible the other hand, and they go figure out where I got to dig because the Bible says it's here. Let's dig. Here it is. We found it because it is historically accurate. That doesn't mean that it's God's word necessarily, but you would expect if it is God's word, it would be accurate. Everything in that I believe not only looks true, seems true, is proven to be true, but is true. You have to decide, is it true? Then what the Bible says is that there is a Jesus and there's a point of this. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation point to Jesus. Every book, 66 books, point to Jesus. So you have to come to conclusion about Jesus. Is Jesus who he said he was? I can come to the conclusion that he's not, or I come to the conclusion that he is. This is, this is the crux of all this. So kind of boiling it down is who is Jesus? Is he who he said he was? Is he just a good man? A lot of people say, I believe he existed. He was a good man. There's a lot of people that were traveling around saying they're the Messiah or they're teaching. And he was a good teacher, maybe one of the better ones. Maybe he was a really, really good man. He was a good teacher. He's a good philosopher. But the Son of God, that's, that's a little much. And I have a hard time believing that. But I believe these other things about him, that maybe he was a, a good person. Probably many of you have heard this quote. This is a very famous quote from philosopher, former atheist, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, I want to make sure that you don't come across as foolish saying that he's a good man. That, that's not an option here. This is what he says. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. You cannot say that, he says. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be crazy, he'd be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. What he is saying is these things that Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God, and this is the way you get to heaven. This is how this all works. A good man would not be lying about all that stuff and leading people down path. That's what bad men do who form some kind of cult and lead people down a path of untruths and false 
uh, statements and then lead them down a path of destruction. That is what a bad man does. We look at people who have done that in, in our history, fairly recent history, and probably still today, and we say that is a bad man who is lying and taking people down a path that is not true. So he says, you can say maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's crazy, or maybe he came from Satan himself, but you can't say he's a good moral teacher. This is, he finishes with this. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else. You, cannot, you can't shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You have to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. And Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is one of the most closed-minded statements any person could make. And people say that's closed-minded to say that he's the only way. Maybe he's a way, but not the way. Well, then he's lying. So Jesus is lying. That would be a crummy way to get people to go down the right path is to lie and to say he's the person that we should follow, even though he's a liar. But we live this way all the time. We live this closed-minded way all the time. I have a telephone. This is my cell phone. If I say, if you'd like to call me, call to my cell phone. Some of you are grabbing your phone already. Don't call me right now. <laughs> but you could say, that's pretty close-minded, Scott. I'd like to just dial 796. Because... I can't believe you would say, be close minded say that's the only way to get a hold of your phone. Well, it is. I mean, you can dial whatever you want to dial. You ain't going to get my phone. There's only way to do, one way to do that. I have a key that starts my car. This is the key that starts my car. I can put my house key in there. It's not going to start it. I can say that's close-minded of this manufacturer to make this where it doesn't, I have to put other, uh, this only key in there and I can't put other keys in there. We live in light of this all the time. If there is the truth in one way, then we live by that. Jesus said, I'm it. There's no other way. There's no other way to get this. So we have to have a decision, a conclusion. Is Jesus who he said he was or not? Going back to the meaning. I'll come back to meaning. We talked about it. Everything is random. There's no real meaning to life. That's one option. Or that God created everything with meaning. There's another question about meaning. Is what we think, what we say, what we do, and the choices we make, none of those have real meaning. That's one option. Or the other side is what we think, what we say, what we do, and the choices we make have purpose and meaning. That what I do actually matters. What I do and don't do, what I think and don't think, what I say and don't say, they actually matter. Ecclesiastes said that everything is going to be judged. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The Bible says it does matter. There is meaning to what I say and what I don't say, what I do and don't do. So I have an option. Do I believe that just life is meaningless and it doesn't matter? Or is there meaning? Next question of eternity. We're almost done here. Eternity. And this is in your, if you grab one of these, a lot of these are kind of summarized in this little sheet. So you have these if you're having a hard time trying to keep up. Saw some of you trying to write. Eternity. Is there something else? One option is who we are will cease to exist 
as we're nothing more than just physical matter, neurochemical processes that are just happening, and that's how we fake having some kind of consciousness in some way because these, these electrical impulses go across these synapses and that's all there is. Or who we are will not cease to exist as what we are includes, along with the physical matter, the immaterial, the soul, the spirit. There's something else. Many human beings, when you just ask this question, they realize there seems to be something different about me versus a tree or a rock or anything else. (laughs) There's something different. So at least they feel like there's something different that is that is uh, at least more, have more conscience, conscious. But also, there does seem to be that there's something even deeper that's different about me versus other animals or anything else, that there's some kind of awareness of right and wrong and good and bad and, and what I should be doing and, and even able to answer, ask these questions and answer these questions. There's something different. So we have to come to the conclusion, do I just die and that cease to exist? Or is there something else? Some people, they, they say that there's something else, but you end up just kind of going into the cosmos. Your energy just goes out there or something. There's no, there's no explanation for that. That's just a guess because they don't want there to be some kind of conclusion that there is something good or bad that awaits me after I die. We have to come to that conclusion. First Corinthians says, there is resurrection. There is life after death. There is the possibility of eternal life with God. He says, Paul says, if not, we're the most pitiable people in the world to believe this. He said, if the dead don't rise and Christ didn't rise, if Christ didn't rise, he has not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead in Christ have perished, those that are already dead, they're not waking up. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, if that's it unless there's something else. And his whole point, 1 Corinthians 15, is there is something else. So we have to make that decision. Next is emotion and virtues. I'll go through this quickly. I just think this is an interesting question just to ask. Why do I feel happy? Why do I feel sad? Why do I enjoy beauty? Why do I have any kind of these emotions and appreciation for anything? What is the purpose of that in the idea of evolution? How does that help me and my species that is one option that just happens. There's no, no explanation for it. Or emotion and virtues have their origination, purpose, and a personal living God. So that leads us to the final part. And this is the most important part. This is what I'm going to close with. Commitment. Commit to living a life consistent with no real purpose or meaning that is not accountable to anyone or anything. If you have stayed on this side of the column the whole time, then this would be what you'd be committing to, I believe. I'm not trying to be condescending anyway. I think this is the conclusion. I mean, I think this is, this is where you get to. That I don't, there's no real purpose in life. I'm not accountable to anybody and I can live what I want to and then I die and that's it. That is an option. Or you can commit to fulfilling your God-given purpose. Thomas Nagel, an atheist philosopher, said this, I want atheism to be true and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. Notice again these words that keep popping up over and over again. 
not just I hope that I'm right in my belief, it's that I hope, you got these hope, I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be God. I don't want the universe to be like that. So therefore, I'm going to live that way and view the universe by that particular lens because I don't want it to be that way. We have to make a commitment whether to live consistently with that, that there is no meaning and purpose or that there is. So that leads us to a decision. Reject that you are in need of a solution to a problem, a problem brought on by rebellion and sin in your life that requires justice. The Bible says you have meaning and purpose when you go against what God wants you to do. That is what's called sin. And because of that, you cannot be with a perfect and holy God. And so there is justice that needs to be given. And so you have to decision. Do I, am I going to reject that or am I going to receive what is called a gracious gift of God? He gives a solution to the problem. That solution is his son, Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about here in just a second. It's a, there's the problem that's brought on by my rebellion, my sin, and my life that requires justice. Romans 6 says this. Many of you know these verses. Because I am created by God to be perfect and holy like God, and yet we as people, we're sinful. We have gone our own way. We have done what we want to do. Every one of us are sinful. The wages of sin, the payment for sin, is separation from God. That's what death is, separation, physical separation. What the Bible describes is not that we cease to exist when we physically die. The physical separation is that our, our physical body is separated from the immaterial part of our body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is that I am spiritually separated from a perfect and holy God. So he says that we die. But the gift of God is eternal life, and it comes through Jesus Christ. That's what the point of the Bible is about. Romans 5 said that, says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. There was a point and a purpose for him to die. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 14, as I mentioned, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is saying, this is the only way to deal with, I am a, created by God, to live a certain way. I've gone my own way. I deserve to be separated from him. If I want to be reunited with him, I want to spend eternity with him. I know it's only through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he sacrificed. He had infinite value so he could die for an infinite amount of people. He died and was sacrificed. He didn't need to die because he was perfect. You and I need to die because we're sinful. He did not need to die, but he died for you and for me. And he said, by receiving what he did on the cross for us, that's how we have eternal life. John 1 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child or children of God, to those who believe in his name. This is how you have eternal life. We have a decision to make, to receive this or not. This is what I communicated to legislators. Many of them said, I want to talk more about this. They gave me their phone numbers and said, let's, let's meet during interim. Can you come by and see me? I'd like to talk more about this. It started spurring some of their, their thoughts. This is what I shared with a senator a while back. I may have mentioned this last time I was here because it's been a while. He's in prison now. He did some bad things. He's in prison. But before he went to prison, I shared this with him. And I said, you can know you have eternal life. You don't have to hope and wonder. You don't have to think because you've done all these bad things that, that you're not going to heaven. There's no way to get to heaven. You, what you need to understand is that because you've done bad things and I've done bad things and all of us have done bad things, we all are not going to heaven. None of us are going to heaven. Nobody's going to heaven unless the blood of Christ is applied to their life. 
1 John 5 says you can know you have eternal life. If you have the Son of God, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. The same John who wrote that, 1 John 5, wrote the John 3.16 that we just read. That God loved us, sent a son to die for us, and if we trust in him, then we have eternal life. I'll finish with this example. How am I on time? I'm probably late, aren't I? I apologize. It's just so important, isn't it? Um, let me finish with this example that I gave to uh, Senator Uresti. I, uh, I said, uh, I heard about this example about a, um, a tightrope walker. A tightrope walker strew a, a, a tightrope across um, Niagara Falls. This is a true story. His name is Blunden, B-L-U-N-D-I-N. You can look him up. He strewed this across Niagara Falls. He walks out, comes back. He goes out, does some tricks out on there. He like makes some eggs and eats breakfast out on the tightrope across Niagara Falls. He takes a wheelbarrow out there, comes back, fills a wheelbarrow full of rocks and goes out there and comes back. He says to the crowd, how many of you believe I could put a person in that wheelbarrow and take him across and come back? Yeah, I've just seen you do all these amazing things. Of course you can. He goes, all right, who's first? (laughs) And no one raises their hand. There's two different kinds of belief going on there, two different kinds of faith going on there. The first is, I believe you can do that. I believe that can happen. I believe that Jesus exists. I don't believe in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, but I believe in Abraham Lincoln and in Jesus. That's one kind of belief. And there's, that's required to a point, but that's short of the belief that the Bible talks about. It's putting I, my trust in the person of Jesus Christ and who he said he is. And that I put my life in his hands is getting in that wheelbarrow. Says, I believe you can do that. And I'm willing to get in that wheelbarrow and take me across. I asked Senator Uresti, have you ever gotten in that wheelbarrow? And he said, no. I said, would you like to? And he said, yes. And he prayed to receive Christ with tears coming down his faith. And when he got done, he said, when I was 18, somebody gave me a plaque. I knew it was important. I had it in my closet since 18. He was in his 50s by this time. He said, this plaque said, he who has a son has life. He said, I knew that was important. I've been keeping that. But until today, I did not know what that meant. Now I know what that means. And he texted me as we left there. And he said, God's timing obviously is impeccable that he would come and have you share the importance of Jesus in my life. I can't wait to get my family and friends in that wheelbarrow with me. He understood the kind of faith the Bible is pointing to. It is a level of faith, but it's based upon information, rational information. You can, you can weigh and come to a conclusion. I don't want to put my life and trust in something that's not true. That's crazy. If I came up here and I said, I'm Napoleon, you would probably call somebody and say, we need some help here because he's lost his mind. Because I'm living outside of reality. If you're living outside of reality, that's crazy. I want to live inside of reality. And so I, I've weighed these things, and it does take a level of faith. But it's faith based upon, to me, rational decisions that I make upon the facts that are laid before me. And this is a conclusion that I've made, and that's why I've devoted my life to it. And I want to share this good news with others. When I go to the Capitol, my goal is not to uh, promote a particular policy or get them to vote a certain way or to get them to do something political. There are people that do that, and that's very, very important, and you need to be involved and do those kind of things. I believe God has placed me there 
to see them come into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I need to do everything I can to develop that opportunity to share that with them, the trust to be able to do that. And if they have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, see them grow in that. That's why I am there at the Capitol. That's why I'm here in this church. That's why I believe that God has placed me on the earth. For each of us, I believe that is why you are here as well. So I'd like to close with prayer now. Please join me in prayer. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We do that not out of, it's not something special that you're you know, bowing your head, but it is a symbol of respect. And closing our eyes, it, it helps with just making this private and personal. But I'd like to give you an opportunity. If you have never put your trust, got in that wheelbarrow, put your trust in Jesus as who he said he was, that he is the son of God who came, he sacrificed on the cross for you in your place, and he died and was buried and rose again to show he has power of death and can forgive your sins. If you have never gotten that wheelbarrow and trusted him, I'd like to give that opportunity to you right now. You can talk to God and tell him that. It doesn't matter the words you say. It's not some kind of magic incantation or anything. It's your heart. But if you need a little bit of help, let me give you some words similar to what I said when I was younger and put my trust in Jesus. But if this expresses your heart, you can tell God this. You can say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done things I shouldn't do. That's just confession. Just in your own way, you can tell God that. You can say, I want to put my trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And the fact that he died, was buried, and rose again in my place. I trust that that sacrifice is sufficient in your eyes for me. That it satisfies your justice. However you want to say this, you just tell God that you want to put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice for you. As I mentioned, John says, as many as received him, and this is receiving him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God. So now you can say, Father, because now he's your heavenly Father. You can say, Father, thank you for giving me eternal life. Make my life what you want it to be. If that expresses your heart, just tell him that. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you'd like to talk to me, please come see me after the service or talk to some of the elders or leaders here at the church or text me or email me. But uh, please let me know. I love the opportunity to talk with you about this. This is the most important decision I think any person on the face of the earth can make. Heavenly Father, I thank you for revealing to us the truth of your word. I thank you for revealing to us the truth of the word, your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you love us enough and you're patient with us enough to give us the opportunity to evaluate, come to a conclusion, and make a decision to follow you and to put our trust in Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness that that brings. Thank you for the eternal life that we know that we now have. I ask you to help us to be bold and courageous and to share this loving, incredible message with anyone you bring across our path that you want us to, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.